Hello and welcome to another edition of Professors at Work, our weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where I talk to professors and scholars and researchers about what they're researching, why they chose these topics, what they're discovering, and, and what it means for the rest of us. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Thank you for being with us. And I'm very happy to have as my guest Dr. Elias Khsoub, who is an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry at the AUB Medical Center. Dr. Khsoub, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're dealing with uh, two critical issues. One is the psychiatric well-being of, uh, of people. Two is the um, impact of COVID and the COVID uh, era that we live in. And, and you're right at the intersection of these two issues. So tell us, uh, what is the research you've been working on? And then we'll talk about what you've discovered and, and what it means. Sure. So um, as uh, we, we've all been through the COVID-19 pandemic, it's been almost a year and a half now. Uh, but at the beginning, um, uh, we kept on reading these interesting uh, newspaper reports about uh, cases of homicide, suicide uh, around the world. And there were some common themes involving this fear of contracting COVID-19 that led some individuals to um, uh, murder their partners and then uh, uh, die by suicide. Wow. And so uh, I decided to uh, research this and do a review, a literature review, uh, with my uh, co-investigators, Dr. Rita Khoury, uh, who is also a psychiatrist, and my wife, and uh, uh, Dr. Marili Wakim, who is a psychiatry resident. And we wanted to research uh, what were the risk factors behind uh, uh, committing homicide, suicide, particularly among older adults mm -hmm. who are especially vulnerable to the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. And by researching the literature, we wanted to focus on whether there are some risk factors that uh, increase the risk for an, for an individual to engage in homicide-suicide. And sorry to interrupt, but the typical homicide-suicide is one person uh, kills another person and then uh, dies by suicide. Usually within one week of the homicide, but mm -hmm. in most cases, the suicide occurs within a 24-hour period after the homicide. Wow. Okay. So uh, we conducted the, uh, the literature review, uh, and it was concluded around uh, uh, April 2020. And we wanted to uh, extract the articles that looked into homicide-suicide among older adults. Mm -hmm. And we were able to retrieve only nine articles in the literature uh, that uh, uh, studied older adults who engage in this behavior. And this highlighted multiple issues. It highlighted the scarcity of the data that mm -hmm. we have on this subject and the limited information that we have on uh, this topic. And all of these uh, studies, although there were only nine, they adopted heterogeneous methods. And mm -hmm. so it was very difficult to extract a, a consensus information out of these articles. 
Right. However, we were able to find uh, uh, common ground, common risk factors for uh, uh, intimate partner homicide suicide right. among uh, risk factors among the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout all the literature, we found that uh, uh, men uh, had a higher uh, uh, higher odds to engage in this. Uh, uh, these acts. Mm-hmm. Usually the perpetrator is assuming a caregiving role, which mm-hmm. means that they are usually taking care of their spouse. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, and this is highly re- relevant for COVID, uh, a risk factor, w- an essential risk factor was the health issues in mm-hmm. one or both individuals in the couple. Right. Uh, domestic violence, a history of domestic violence or relational discord was also a risk factor. Mm-hmm. The perpetrator having had legal issues uh, is also a risk factor. Depression, interestingly, wow. was a major risk factor. And we know that depression is highly prevalent among older adults. Suicidal ideations was also a risk factor. Mm-hmm. And finally, Access to firearms, uh, wow. which across the board has been shown to be a, a, an in, a, a risk factor, a major risk factor for suicide and homicide. And as we saw here, also in homicide, suicide. And these studies were done, uh, even though there was not a lot of them, but they were all done in one part of the world? Um, most of them were done in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, one study was out of New Zealand, another out of Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, another one out of Bel- Belgium. Okay. And so uh, most of the data that we have is from the Western world. Okay. So what does that do t- at the beginning of your research? Can you then take some of this knowledge and transpose it to... Lebanon or the Middle East automatically, or how do you how do you draw conclusions from that and then move on with your uh, other research? That's a great question. Uh, it's uh, uh, this also highlighted the um, issue of a lack of homegrown research regarding this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to keep in mind that this is a rare event. Yeah. However, it has very serious consequences. And so it's important to be on the lookout uh, for uh, risk factors and detect red flags before uh, 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 the terrible event happening. Mm -hmm. The thing is, uh, we know that psychiatric disorders or mental health issues are universal. Mm -hmm. And even though the research hasn't been necessarily done in Lebanon, we can safely uh, err on the side of caution and transpose this uh, limited data that we have in order to inform our local practitioners to be on the lookout where these multiple risk factors are present in a certain case. They need to be on the lookout and screen for risk of harm to self as well as to others. And uh, is that essentially... 
what you've done, or have you then gone ahead and done more research locally? So uh, we tried to, in our uh, uh, publication, we published it in the journal Current Psychiatry mm -hmm. uh, in February of uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. And uh, our focus was on uh, extracting recommendations mm -hmm. for the general practitioner as well as the psychiatrist yes. on how to screen uh, for uh, the risk and what to do next. And so what we noticed was that with COVID-19, uh, a recent CDC report, we know that around 31% of respondents had symptoms of anxiety or depression, 13% uh, oh. reported substance use, and 11% reported serious thoughts of suicide wow. in the past 30 days. 11%? 11%. Yeah. And that, these are huge numbers. Yeah, of course. Which, which tells us that potentially COVID-19, uh, while we're still in it and in the aftermath of it, there are high risks that uh, the mental health uh, issue, there might be even a mental health pandemic uh, after the COVID-19 pandemic. Wow. And so we know that specifically relevant to the COVID-19 pandemic, the caregiving role health issues in the couple are specific risk factors. Mm -hmm. We have, uh, we seem to have an increased rate of depression and suicidal ideations. So those are also risk factors relevant to intimate partner homicide suicide. And uh, there have been reports that incidents of domestic violence have increased throughout the pandemic, particularly in uh, uh, the periods of lockdown. You're and talking, so, sorry, you're talking globally or in the Middle East or? Globally, the, globally. Okay. And uh, we have data in Lebanon in particular, calls to the uh, 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 domestic violence hotline mm -hmm. have substantially increased during the pandemic. Wow. Okay. With that uh, taken into account, uh, although we don't have solid data comparing rates of intimate partner homicide suicide before and after the onset of the pandemic, we, uh, we have to have a high index of, uh, of suspicion. Okay. Um, just to add uh, uh, information for reference, the incidence of murder suicide, of homicide suicide has been stable over the years before the COVID-19 pandemic at a rate of one per a hundred thousand globally globally okay. but as we know most of the data comes from western countries right and so uh, based on that we designed uh, recommendations for the general practitioner and the psychiatrist what to do when dealing with a person who might have had uh, an older adult who might have had contact uh, with a person uh, who tested positive for COVID-19 mm -hmm. or with those older adults who are COVID-19 positive. Right. First and foremost, you have to screen for depressive symptoms, suicidality, and substance use. Okay. This is uh, very essential. Alcohol and drug use disorder, both. Mm -hmm. uh, those who have tested positive for COVID-19 and who have been in contact with the carrier are a particularly vulnerable 
population. Right. Second, you have to screen for domestic violence uh, and whether the individual has access to weapons at home. This should become part of routine history taking uh, in this population. Right. In case an older adult with uh, mental illness has access to firearms in the household, immediate interventions should be taken, such as uh, offer hospitalization, talk to family members in order to remove the uh, gun from the household, and if, uh, 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 if it has to be done, inform law enforcement officials. Mm -hmm. Finally, always offer uh, specialized mental health services to the patients. I know that older adults might have issues in terms of their mobility, in terms of transportation to and from the clinics. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the advantages uh, uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a silver lining, I would say, is the booming of the telemental health services, right. providing access to telehealth uh, to mental health through the internet. And so uh, this has become a practical solution for older adults to access mental health services in the comfort of their homes uh, through the internet. Um, this, is, this is going on already, you notice, for, for, for any uh, health issue, more uh, use of uh, telemedicine by older people. Exactly. Okay. Uh, one hurdle might be uh, is that uh, older adults might not be tech savvy. Yes. And so it's important to involve family members in mm. facilitating this access. Yes. And uh, uh, this is something that has been done uh, uh, in the U.S. It hasn't really been done in Lebanon as far as I know, although it has been suggested, mm -hmm. is to have specialized COVID-19 psychiatric units. Wow. i.e. for patients who are struggling with their uh, uh, psychiatric illnesses and who are COVID-19 positive right. and to provide them with a specialized environment in order to give them uh, services uh, for their mental health as well as to treat them for COVID-19. And this is something that uh, is being discussed now in Lebanon? Is, uh, did, you, uh, this, did you support this recommendation? So uh, at least in our institution, uh, although there is, we don't have a formalized uh, workflow uh, screening specifically for homicide, suicide, we are highly vigilant in terms of screening uh, uh, for uh, risk of harm to others as well mm -hmm. as to self. We have uh, psychiatric units a psychiatric unit uh, that is accessible to older adults uh, as well. And we are providing services uh, for a diverse uh, air, uh, uh, psychiatric disorders. Uh, and uh, we also have specialized COVID-19 units. And our consultation liaison service is actively involved in providing mental health uh, uh, consultations to those patients in those units. And uh, it's been highly um, uh, helpful to the patients, mm -hmm. and it's been a highly sought-after service in the hospital. Uh, let me ask you a general question. Uh, we, we only have about five minutes left. <clears throat> a general question. Um, this issue of uh, homicide-suicide, obviously, as you said, is very rare, 
but it happens and it's maybe increasing in times of uh, uh, of COVID. But this is really just a big, gigantic red warning flag because if this is increasing, then there's a whole range of mental health <coughs> issues uh, that clearly are uh, increasing. I've, I've read about this and heard the doctors talk about it um, in terms of uh, depression and um, other uh, anxiety, other signs of, of, of mental health. So you, you're dealing with a situation where the range of mental health issues uh, ha is becoming more prevalent because of the COVID situation, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And so uh, homicide, suicide can be a very uh, a terrible outcome and a manifestation of this cluster of mental health issues and risk factors. Uh, but obviously, if there is a rise and an increase in the prevalence of these uh, disorders, then you fear an increase in uh, rates of homicide, suicide. And is it only, is it mainly or only homicide, suicide that you're discussing now? Or is there, are there other dangers that uh, a person um, who uh, goes over the edge or, or you know reaches a point um, where they want to do something they might uh, if they have a gun or a knife they might mm -hmm. just go and attack somebody else or is it always directed uh, at home so uh, generally speaking uh, more often than not uh, direct family members are, uh, are the ones who are at risk Mm -hmm. uh, of, uh, uh, of violence. Mm -hmm. And uh, interestingly, uh, the phenomena of homicide-suicide is more or less prevalent among older adults. So wow. uh, around 25% of homicide-suicide uh, are committed by individuals above the age of 55. Wow. And uh, uh, that's a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Compared that, um, uh, homicide, for example, are only nine uh, percent uh, of the cases are committed by older adults, right. whereas homicide suicide it's twenty five percent of the cases. Wow! So it's overrepresented in this population. Right, and so you've created uh, designed recommendations for psychiatrists and uh, and and medical tr uh, practitioners and nurses, I suppose. And are you going further and looking at uh, giving this uh, these guidelines to say school teachers or people who are in t or you know uh, police uh, pe policemen and women and people who are in touch with the uh, the general population? So I think that. Uh... Uh, governmental agencies and the media, uh, they uh, have a crucial role. Uh, governmental agencies have a role in terms of uh, uh, securing mental health services to the entire population uh, mm -hmm. in a way that is affordable. Mm -hmm. uh, the media can also play a role in terms of shedding a light on the issue of domestic violence and, and its risks. Mm -hmm. as well as signs and symptoms of depression among older adults. Mm -hmm. And so it, it plays a role in terms of informing the public about these major health issues. Yes. Uh, uh, we, we don't want the media to sensationalize these events. We want them to rather uh, deliver the information in a precise and accurate manner uh, in order to keep the public informed. Uh, informed and uh, to refer people who are in need of help 
to the uh, adequate services. So there's also situations over the last year and a half we've read about uh, in many countries in the Middle East and elsewhere, perhaps, where a, a father who's at the end of the line, he doesn't have money or he's the only breadwinner and he doesn't have any more work or money, he can't feed his kids or take care of their family needs, and he goes and sets himself on fire in front of the mayor's office or something like that and commits, uh, tries to commit uh, suicide. Uh, uh, now, this is um, a situation, uh, well, I, I ask an informal for question, is this is this uh, a situation that could have happened um, without the COVID era? Or in other words, are these basic mental health uh, tendencies that manifest themselves? Or are these people who normally wouldn't have done this, but the COVID situation, lockdown, lack of work, lack of income, brought them to a new level of, of depression and anxiety, and therefore they, uh, they ended their life? Uh, this is very interesting that you're bringing it up. Um, uh, we, we are current, I'm currently working with a team of, uh, uh, researchers on, uh, systematic review on self-immolation, uh, or self-burning as a method of suicide, uh, which interestingly is, uh, a common method in the Middle East uh, region. Mm -hmm. And we will look into risk factors uh, in the literature that increase the risk of engaging uh, in the, uh, of using this method of suicide. Right. But anecdotally, it seems that we, there, there was an increase in using this method uh, after the start of the Arab Spring. Right. And the multiple uprisings, first in Tunisia and then later on, but uh, in, indeed, anecdotally, we have noticed an increase of using this method, at least in Lebanon, over the past couple of years. Right. Uh, the uprising of October 2019 was almost simultaneous with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's difficult to really differentiate whether it was the COVID-19 pandemic that led to this increase in this uh, method of suicide. But uh, this is definitely a question that we are currently looking into. Yeah, and it's fascinating. We've, we've only got about a minute left, so I, I, I just want to make common ask you a question. It's fascinating that you're getting different responses to the stresses that people feel even before COVID, the, the Arab uprisings, Mohammed Bouazizi started it, and, or at least his was the first case that was widely um, publicized. Uh, and people went out into the streets and demonstrated and, and, and Lebanon here and many other places. So some people respond by turning to political activism to improve the conditions of their life that had deteriorated so badly that they felt there was no reason to keep living or they just couldn't uh, stay alive and, and, and set themselves uh, on fire. So um, my question, my last question to you is, what are you going to, what's your next um, a project now you mentioned the self-immolation is this your next yes. focus of study or are there other yes, issues this you're is tackling? currently a project uh hopefully in the near future we'll try to screen for homicide suicide and look into the local uh, uh prevalence and epidemiology of homicide suicide here in lebanon mm -hmm. but we're currently working on self-immolation and uh, the risk factors and its epidemiology in the middle east wow well, important research, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back down the road to talk about what you're discovering. 
My guest, my guest has been Dr. Elias Rasoub, Assistant Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at the AUB Medical Center. And uh, thank you, Dr. Rasoub. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You bet. Um, I'm your host, Rami Khouri. This is Professors at Work. Join me again next week. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.